episode 20. We are the podcast that celebrates Bronx creatives and change makers, and I'm your boy, KB. You're what's going on, beautiful people. It's your boy, Jay. Before we get started, I would like to encourage you all to hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with everything we have going on with Live from the Bronx. And make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend to check us out. So I'm going to kick it back over to Kev. Kev is going to take us right into the episode. No doubt, no doubt. So today we have a very, very, very special guest. I say that every week, but um, today is a very, very special guest because I've actually known this dude since we were in kindergarten or first grade, something like that. He is the brand strategist, social media strategist, marketing guru, HR person, uh, and the number one fan of uh, Seis Vecinos. So please, please, please make some noise for Omar Canales in the building. What's going on, Omar? Hey, Kevin. Hey, Jason. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you guys having me here. Honored to be uh, part of the podcast here. Uh, you know, representing the Bronx as we all try to, you know, echo our voices from here, you know, from the Bronx of the world. So I'm really uh, appreciative to be here today. No doubt. From the Bronx of the world. I love that. That should be on a, on a T-shirt somewhere. So, yeah. So we're going to learn a little bit about Ses Vecinos. We're going to learn about you and we're going to hopefully have some fun. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yes, sir. So to to start us off, right, we usually like to get a sense of who it is that we're interviewing, learn a little bit about who you are, and let the audience learn more about you, right? So we're going to get deep into, like, your entrepreneurial experiences, amazing things you're doing in the Bronx. But before we do that, tell me a little bit about who you are. How do you identify? So whenever, you know, someone likes to ask, uh, who's Omar Canales, I always identify, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a kid from the Bronx born and raised and most likely will be here forever. It's definitely a, a big pride thing, but in a good way, because uh, uh, I'm very, I like showing an example, you know, even, especially when I travel, I always love to boast, you know, that I'm from the Bronx, that I'm a product of the Bronx, and I, I, I keep evolving here with it. You know, that I've been able to make it here, and, uh, you know, I always like to, to share that, you know, experience with uh, everyone that I meet with uh, utmost pride. So that's how I, I identify, you know, I identify as uh, from the Bronx, South American, Ecuadorian, Honduran, um, you know, first generation immigrant. You know, it's, it's one of those things that just, you know, keeps, I like to express, you know, the whole immigrant, you know, card as well, because we've survived this far. And, um, you know, uh, uh, it's definitely, you know, that growing up in the projects, you know, in Soundview, um, as Kevin. Uh, shout out to Soundview. <laughs> so that, that's, all, that's another big thing, too, because um, there's, you know, and I'm sure we'll get more into it later, you know, the whole misconception thing. So, yeah, it's a lot of pride behind that as well. So definitely from the Bronx, born and raised, and uh, that'll never stop. That's what's up. So I, I love that you mentioned the immigrant experience, first generation. How has that impacted your journey right um being a first generation person in this country i would say mostly all in a very positive way i also try to always look at the positive positive in the sense that uh you know i, I grew up bilingual so that's opened up a lot of doors for me in terms of opportunity and wherever i go especially here in new york city it's always an intriguing thing that people always want to learn more about you know the the foods right the foods that connect us and that has to do a lot of with being an immigrant because you, you bring that back 
And that's something that I always try to tell people um, to be more prideful of because everyone has, everyone, everyone has an immigrant story. So um, even if you don't want to recognize it, so that's, I always try to bring up the food, the language and the culture as being the original, you know, social media. So I would say definitely in a very positive sense, you know, it's very enriching, you know, and um, just always using that as a, you know, way to fight the, the stereotypes, you know, of people always trying to downplay subtly, even in a subtle tone, as I'm sure we've all encountered here and there. Can I jump in really quickly? You just said something that was super subtle, but fascinating, and we can't just skip by this, right? So you you said that everyone has an immigrant story, and why I think this is so important, especially in today's times, is because I think a lot of times we lose sight of that. Like, we forget that this nation was built from immigrants, right? Aside from our indigenous people, a lot of us, you know, we all immigrated here, right? You can kind of trace trace our ancestry back and, and, and see that, right? And some of us were brought here. We didn't ask to be here, right? But there is a story there, and, and I think that it's important to talk about. So if you don't mind just elaborating a little bit on what that immigrant story may have been for you and like what that just means in the context of the, of the political world that we're in today. Yeah. So digging a little deeper into that immigrant story is, um, you know, all of us, I'm, I'm referring to, you know, my friends and, and coworkers or associates of anyone that I've ever get, gotten in touch with you. Everyone has an immigrant story as in going five generations back, 10 generations back. You can do an ancestry.com thing and you, everyone has, you know, a lineage of some sort. And we're all mixed in one way or the other. So if, you know, and I always love going back to the subject of food, because if you look at the language of food, the ingredients of food, why we mix foods a certain way, why we name, why are the foods named a certain way? It all goes back to language and, and ingredients and lineage as to what we were able to find at one time on, a, you know, in our farms and our backyards when we were hunters and gatherers at one point, you know, literally that before we had supermarkets. You know, it all goes traces back to that. So that's a way of learning and, and connecting. And when it goes to embracing that you're an immigrant, whether you're first generation or fifth generation, I think it's something that we should always um, look back as a humbling experience because it teaches us about our neighbor, you know, who may not have it um, as easy as you do because of what's happening in, in today's air. And so it's humbling because I remember growing up and being shy about, you know, being one of the few, let's say Ecuadorians, Hondurans uh, growing up in the Bronx. And so I was always shy about sharing that, you know, that culture because people didn't really understand. People, whenever I would bring that up, people would look at me and say, oh, uh, you know, I don't know what that is, you know? And so that confused look would make people smile or laugh, you know, and then, but growing older and with maturity, it, it, I, I transformed it into this, no, I think this is an opportunity to tell a story. And when you look at it from that angle, the reactions um, were a lot more different and people would just appreciate that more. And um, it allowed me also to understand other cultures through food as well, growing up as well. And, and I feel like just that, that, uh, that I wish more people did, because if they did, uh, well, things will maybe be a little calmer, you know? I like that actually a lot. And one of the things that you, you said 
in terms of about learning about different cultures through food, right? And I think that that's actually really powerful. So that actually brings us uh, to Ses Vecinos. So tell me a little bit about Ses Vecinos, how it got started. Literally translate Ses Vecinos, what, what does that mean, right? And what does it what does it mean in terms of what y'all do as a restaurant? Yeah, so the idea of Seis Vecinos was born uh, just a little over eight, eight years ago. And the first location was on 149th Street and Tintin Avenue. Um, the whole idea was actually born with my cousin, Jennifer. She approached me with us, this idea um, as I was also simultaneously growing this other food business by total coincidence. That was more like a shelf-stable business, still in the food industry, uh, supermarket kind of brand. And she approached me with this idea in like secrecy, you know, she said, Omar, I have this thing. I have some money. I want to open up a restaurant. And she's uh, born in Honduras from, you know, my dad's side. And she just trusted me with this idea uh, and confidence. And she wanted to call it something. She knew she wanted to serve Honduran food, emphasize Honduran cuisine. She was, she's very great at the kitchen. Um, that's her specialty. She brought back all these recipes from Honduras that she knew and loved. And so she was just asking me, picking my brain, Omar, what do we call it? And we sat, you know, in my car uh, multiple times and just scouting places. We found the first location. I helped her with all the, the business um, aspects of it, even opening up uh, everything from her cable to her water bill to, you know, all the business licenses that we need, setting those up, all the paperwork, going to buildings department and just driving around the Bronx, getting all those permits ready to finding used furniture on Craigslist from other restaurants that went out of business at the time, you know, going to Bowery restaurant supply stores, you know, and that's how that idea was born. And then it came to the point where, what is our DBA going to be, you know, our doing business as, and she said that she wanted to serve more than just Honduran food. She wanted to serve Salvadoran food. She wants to serve, you know, some little flavors from Nicaragua, Guatemala, and all the Central American flavors. And being that her husband is Mexican, we wanted to include Mexico as well. So the whole idea of we share borders in Central America through the Central American region, we're technically neighbors. So when we count them all, and when you consider the Honduran flag that has five stars, which represents the original five provinces of Central America, and when you include Mexico, who shares our, our shares border with us in Central America, we have the six neighbors, which translates to the seis vecinos. And so the fusion menu in that sense, uh, the Central American fusion menu, I should say, was born uh, by calling it that. And if you consider our logo, which is something that I designed, it, it has the blue dots, which is the exact blue color from the Honduran flag. And we wanted to emphasize community. You know, we wanted to emphasize community in the name as well, that we're neighbors, no matter where you're from, really. And so if you notice, we don't wave you know, a Honduran flag, we don't really wave, we don't wave flags in the restaurant. You won't see like a flag in our menu because um, we also wanted to just make it, uh, you know, a, a community restaurant for all, you know, where, you know, we feel that when you call it a Honduran restaurant, um, it's a little more deterring than just calling it a community restaurant or a family restaurant because we want everyone to come and try the cuisine. And so we try to keep it, um, as friendly as possible in that sense. So, um, but very subtle, very subtle in the in the culture. So we definitely on the menu. If you read it, you you'll see it says it. It says Honduran food, but we won't we won't wave the flag. 
just to welcome everyone. It's just something that that we we felt that works great. It works great in general. That's uh, that's the the safe space, you know, story up until now, and we've been kind of just trying to tell that story through food. So if if you're not familiar with Central American food, what are some of the things that you guys specialize in? All right, so I'll start with so the affordable bites, um, which fall under the appetizer like kind of section. It would be the baleadas. So baleadas are the you know, what tacos are to Mexico, baleados are to Honduras. It's just your, your street food in Honduras. It's affordable. It's a handmade flour tortilla filled with refried beans, eggs, a very salty, somewhat pungent cheese. Um, and you have your options of protein, which could be everything from like a chipotle chicken to like a like carne asada, which is a very like seasoned, uh, like steak. And um, it's just very filling, very affordable. Um, and some people just consider that, I don't know how, an appetizer as well. Those go by the dozen, like per order almost every day. Pupusas are very popular. That's a more of a Salvadoran staple dish. Um, so Jason actually put me on. So we, we actually sat down at San Francisco, Jason and I, a couple of weeks ago, and he put me on to pupusa and it changed my life. It was yeah. no, amazing. I, yeah, that made me happy. I remember when you texted me about the pupusas, um, I always try to start everyone who's never tried, you know, with some, maybe a pupusa and a baleada, you know, try one of each. And then we talk about, you know, we can talk about, um, like we're talking about now, you know, like why the name, how it comes from, like, you know, it's, it's Salvadoran and Honduran cuisine all in one dish. Um, when you order both, cause I like to order both sometimes. And, uh, yeah, it's just handmade corn. Uh, it's our gluten-free option. Because uh, I get that question a lot too, and you could get the plain cheese, get it with you know um, jalapeno, or um, you could get the loroco and cheese, which is a Central American flower bud with cheese. It's a very earthy, almost kind of like a mushroom kind of taste to it. Or you can just straight up get the you know the most popular one is chicharrón con queso um, option, which is um, you know a fried pork belly with cheese. It's a, like the most popular option probably the most higher cholesterol option too but i respect the honesty yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. this is actually making me very hungry right now yeah. i want you to understand that. oh yeah <laughs> so um, then, then when you go uh, up the menu when you go a little more upscale on the menu we have our very staple uh to honduran cuisine very popular at the restaurants as well it's another like street food in honduras um and now you also find it in upscale restaurants in honduras as well but it started off as a street comfort food. It's called pollo frito con tajadas, or also known as pollo chuco. And um, it's it's our like Central American style fried chicken. Like if you love fried chicken, I always recommend this very messy dish. It sits on a bed of you know uh, fried green bananas. So it's not it's not a green plantain. It's actually green bananas. They they brine in twenty four for twenty four hours. They're cut in this elongated shape. They sit on a bed of that with some just like crispy fried chicken and then just dressed with um, like pico de gallo, but we also call it chimol. Some uh, like a, it's a house made chipotle sauce um, smothered all on top. And it's a very messy dish. I'm a big fan of saying if you're not if you're not getting messy, you're not having fun. So very popular dish as well. And um, people love also we love our um, like just whole fried fish. Uh, soups are very popular. We also offer uh, garifuna dishes. So we we definitely cater to our garifuna community here in the Bronx. 
we have garifuna cooks in the kitchen. We also offer like uh, our soups, which um, the community loves. A lot of coconut, you know, heavy like uh, soups. Uh, sopa de caracol, which is a conch soup. And um, people love it with their side of machuca, um, which is mashed green plantain. Uh, very soft and you kind of use it to dip it, you know, into the soup, you grab it with your hand, dip it into the soup and then you, you consume it. So a lot of very traditional Garifuna dishes, Central American dishes, you know, is what we offer. And you see that within the names of our menu. Like for example, you can't just order, I mean, you could, but I always recommend ordering more than just the rice and beans. So rice and beans, Central American style or Mona, more known as in El Salvador, casamiento, which means uh, a marriage, a marriage of rice and beans, but it's literally known as casamiento. Why? Because it's heavily seasoned and cooked from the very beginning together as rice and beans. And kind of looks like um, the Dominican style of making uh, rice and beans, um, which is moro, right? If you're, if you're familiar with uh, Dominican. So it's kind of like our rendition, Central American style called Casamiento. And that's how it's known throughout the Central American region. So that's another example of the little gems that I like to share, you know, within the menu whenever I, I get to share that experience with someone who's never had it before. Omar, I, I love, I just want to say one quick thing uh, before we, we move on. And so I'm Puerto Rican and Salvadorian, right? And so... I, I love pupusas and my mom makes them sometimes, but there are times where she doesn't make it often, <laughs> but there are times where I'm looking for restaurants where I want to go get pupusas and, and have some of my own cultural like food. And I never find them. There's one in the Bronx that, um, I've been to, it's a small little place, right? Nothing crazy. And then one in the Heights. But I remember I was kind of scrolling through Uber Eats because I wanted this. I'm like, I want some pupusas. I, I, I want to like, where, but where can I get this from? And that's how I came across your restaurant. It was like really scrolling through Uber Eats because I wanted a particular type of food. And your restaurant popped up and I was like, oh, I'm just going to order. Like, I, I didn't even really go through like any images or do any, look at any reviews. I was just like, well, they got pupusas. I want that right now. I'm going to order that. And so that's how I came across your restaurant. This is prior to me even knowing that Kevin knew you. So when Kevin had mentioned the restaurant and he said, yo, my boy is like co-owner of it or whatever. I was just like, yo, I just ordered food from there. This is crazy. So that's my story of how I came across your restaurant. Oh, yeah, no, that's fun. Yeah, I'm always trying to work on making it more visible on, on Google. But yeah, no, we, we um, even us here as a family, we patronize the other pupusa spots here in the Bronx as well. Um, I know there's one not far from here on Melrose. Uh, and there's other Salvadoran spots as well that, uh, that serve pupusas. But yeah, we, we try to definitely um, blow up that space, you know, because Central American cuisine as a whole, um, as I'm sure you know, not just Salvadoran food, um, but Honduran cuisine, Nicaraguan cuisine, that whole space is, is not, it's not as, um, I guess, as known, you know, people don't, it's, it's not like Mexican cuisine, like we, we all have our maybe top five Mexican restaurants that we all personally like, you know, for example, or Puerto Rican or Dominican restaurants that we all know to go to, right? You know, Central American cuisine is one of those interesting spaces for me in terms of marketing and telling the story where people, most people just never really hear about it, you know? So I, that, that makes me think of a, of a couple of things, right? So you mentioned uh, the marketing piece. So I guess I want to know what is, what is your role? So I, I kind of named some of the titles and stuff like that, but what is it that you do for Safe Vecinos? And 
what are some of the marketing strategies, especially during like a COVID, right? Like how, how has that been working out? Most definitely. Yes. Yeah. So at, at the, at the restaurant, Taste Casinos, it's been an ever growing learning process as I like to, to see it as, um, uh, of evolving with, within this day and age in the digital world of marketing online and raising awareness. So what I do is social media strategy, interacting directly with the customer, you know, um, in both, you know, customer reviews and also reposting, you know, customer photos, stories, you know, that that's been very positive for us as a community and also business to remain relevant and, and positive. I do a lot of that. I do a lot of storytelling, you know, that's, that's one thing, um, that, uh, is very key. So that's been very, very important for us, but, uh, definitely during this pandemic, um, it's been in a, a very quickly, rapidly changing learning process, especially of how do we tell that story now? Um, and how do we keep that fun while most people are still being locked up at home ordering delivery? So it's been interesting, you know, for me because uh, we've had to find creative ways of doing that through social media and through Instagram and through Facebook um, and also through Google Maps, being able to tell that story. So uh, I've gotten creative in the sense of literally ordering food here at the house or reaching out to customers that order food online. What do you guys think about the food? Mind sharing some photos? What do you guys like? What do you guys don't like? Because that's what we always want to improve. That's always key also. If anything, we pay attention more to the, to the negative, you know, but always thankful that customers are willing to share. One thing that I know I've had to do is look um, for innovative platforms that are already existing that are willing to evolve with our small business. So um, we've implemented our own in-house uh, delivery app, in-house delivery ordering platform. So it's been very welcoming. People have enjoyed that. We installed our own in-house rewards program to compete with um, others as well, or just to remain relevant, just like you would go to your Chipotle or Starbucks and uh, get rewards there. So, you know, we may be family, you know, but um, a family, you know, oriented kind of like old school kind of spot, but we still want to remain as relevant as, you know, as I mentioned, your Chipotle or Starbucks or, you know, Applebee's, you know, we, we need to stay competitive, stay relevant, remain raising awareness, you know, one thing I know that we, we, we had to do by force and always tried to stay away from was uh, paid advertisement. But out of necessity, we did that. And uh, I think it's, a, it's been a positive thing to carefully, you know, invest um, in that space as well and carefully invest in that space. And I recommend that um, to every small business to try it. Why were you initially against advertising? Because for us, it was working organically. Um, and I'm a big fan of being organic, especially if you're a small business. We don't, I don't like to identify at least our small business as you know, that corporate type because it, it, it can lose taste. But if you do it tastefully, you can still you know, raise awareness um, within your community with paid advertisement as you directly target your radius you know, as to where you are. Um, a lot of that has to do with personal belief getting in the way, um, you know, the, the whole corporate thing, right? I think um, that's been, um, it's been very helpful, very positive, and I definitely highly recommend it, you know, recommend every small business, you know, as we've been 
experimenting, you know, from the very beginning. And it's been very positive for us. Um, and just reaching out to the community directly through social media um, and customer feedback. And so that's pretty much a, a lot of what I do. I, I do the photography as well, you know, just getting my hands dirty, you know, uh, going on YouTube, you know, taking classes online. Uh, how do I learn this? How do I learn that? You know, I still delegate. I, we still hire where we need. But a lot of the times we need something quickly done today or yesterday. And so we, I need to wear different hats. And I always encourage people to never lose that passion, you know, remain passionate um, to keep learning, become obsessive, you know, I, I learn, learn to uh, ask for help. You know, I'm always uh, that's a big thing. I've throughout the years, I've learned to ask for help. There's a big difference uh, of asking someone to do your homework for you and learning how to ask for help, reaching out to your community, reaching out to your local council members, uh, you know, community events, you know, that's, that's one thing that uh, I always recommend and, and something that I keep learning as well. So that's uh, in a nutshell, that's a lot of what I do uh, for the restaurant and I've been honored and, and I'm extremely grateful every single day that it's also brought me closer to my family members who, who love that, that involvement in the, in the business. My cousins who are also waitresses, um, and waiters in the business are active in the kitchen. So a lot of that brings us closer, you know, as well, fortunately, and we respect each other's roles. We respect each other's strengths and weaknesses as well. And uh, yeah. Can I, I just kind of want to emphasize something that I'm hearing here and it's, it's the word community. How do you define community? What does that mean for you personally? And tied to that right as we're thinking about the role of community within your restaurant and and just kind of like being true to your brand and everything that you're saying right we've seen in the past couple years like this um wave of new restaurants coming into the, the south bronx community and how when we when i think about community i think about like these restaurants coming in uh, some of the differences that I've seen, at least in the South Bronx, is that those restaurants tend to be owned by people of color and still kind of cater to a mixed audience, some of which are people of color from the community who are able to go to these restaurants, some aren't. And so I'm always thinking about, like, how do you, how do you hold on to that sense of community in, in, in a neighborhood that may be, like, ever-changing or gentrifying? And so, like, how do you hold on to those elements of community? Yeah, no, I... I... First off, I love that question um, because it, it digs deep into holding on to our community. And we, you know, if I had to start off answering that question, we, we set up shop here in the Bronx. My cousin decided to do the same. It was uh, her decision. So we know that we recognize our community as we, you know, we feed the community, the community feeds us. And because, you know, we are of similar culture, you know, of Hispanic, you know, black, and we identify as that, we identify as being able to, to always uh, remain relevant with our community by um, always emphasizing our cuisine and providing that utmost, you know, customer service while also hiring from within as well, in the community as well, because it's also good. I mean, it's, I'm not gonna lie, it's also great for business as well. Um, we try to hire you know, within the Bronx as well to prevent long commutes for our employees. And uh, you know, community for us is staying relevant um, in terms of 
staying in touch with our other uh, restaurateurs um, within the community as well. That's one thing that I do, and I'm always sharing feedback by remaining friends and sharing feedback with other uh, local merchants and restaurant owners as well. So that's another way that I know I personally um, keep everything tied together for us. Um, I also try my best to keep in touch with uh, local programs uh, provided by the Bronx Tourism Council, for example. Getting involved with programs like that because I know that we can provide something to culturally enrich um, and while also providing awareness that, hey, you know, um, we're one of the many gems here in the Bronx and we want to make that shine. So just um, being able to tell that story in a very universal way provides us with that community sense. There's that second half of the, of the question that, you know, that goes back to what I was starting to say earlier, that we like to welcome everyone, you know, and gentrification is a very, you know, hot topic. And it's something that drives my anxiety through the wall because we want to hold on to, to everything that is affordable at the moment. Affordable, not just in the money sense, but once again, going back to the community sense, we want to live here, or at least I do. I would love to know that I live here and maybe die here one day because, you know, it's nice knowing that thus far I've, I've left my mark. Um, at least by telling this little story in the Bronx that at one time, even if, if, if it all burns, burns down, you know, hypothetically speaking, I knew that at one time I was able to share the culture um, and leave my little mark on the community by, by sharing my heritage and, you know, through food and the community embraced it and the community welcomed it, the community shared it. And, um, but I still, we still welcome everyone. And it's a very humbling experience when we have, People coming in from as far as New Jersey or traveling from Tennessee saying, oh, I'm here, in, I'm visiting New York City, but I have to stop by the Bronx to go check out Seis Vecinos. I welcome that. You know, uh, we welcome that. It's a very humbling experience when we have people who can barely pronounce the menu. You know, when we have, you know, tour buses coming through. Um, we welcome that. You know, um, I welcome that because it obviously it's it's a reminder and a very humbling you know experience knowing that we're doing something right at least you know we can say that and that we're able to spread the word we're we're able to spread and share our cuisine and tell the world hey guess what you know there's also uh, Honduran cuisine there's also Salvadoran cuisine that you can enjoy as well and you learned about something new today it's a very complicated topic because we or at least I believe we have to evolve with it. Um, there are still going to be these driving forces that we'll, we'll have to keep rubbing shoulders with. And we have to, and I say we because, you know, those that believe it know what I'm talking about. We have to just remain resilient um, through, through all of it um, and keep educating ourselves of what other forces um, may be trying to do to possibly even erase us. And you, in my opinion, you do that by educating yourself, remaining resilient. And I know that's one thing that I do personally, even when my anxiety goes through the roof, uh, just embracing that story, embracing the education aspect, embracing learning, embracing being able to learn things um, that maybe at one time you didn't find so interesting, but you know that you're going to learn them um, to remain relevant, to remain fresh, to remain fun, and to make sure that, you know, we don't get pushed out. 
and it's just an ever going battle that you have to evolve with. You know, I feel like I, I hope I, I feel like I told, uh, answered your question, uh, Jason. Yeah, no, for sure. Right there. It's, it's complicated, super complex hearing what your, your perspective as a business owner, right. It's also super important for, for folks to hear and understand, uh, because we see the challenges, but you also feel it as as an owner which is a unique perspective that i don't think we get a chance to hear so thank you for sharing that with all that i said thinking about being a community staple thinking about sharing culture with people in the bronx outside the bronx around the world etc right how did it feel to be a part of bronx week what was that like for you yeah so i yeah and i always bring it up like you know of all the restaurants um it was amazing and extremely humbling to have been chosen to host Rush Bronx Restaurant Week, as I should say, because the Bronx has its own restaurant week. And, uh, you know, if, if you've never seen the program, I encourage it. It grows every year. Um, and, you know, just to start off with the Bronx Restaurant, talk about a little bit about the Bronx Restaurant Week program, which is run by the Bronx Tourism Council, uh, you know, and shout out to them also, um, to what the great things that they do for us uh, and organize for us as a community. It's uh, an ever-growing program um, of a list of participating restaurants. All participa- participating restaurants are very authentic, very genuine, all have something amazing to contribute, and all offer for that week a sort of incentive. Um, and uh, we decided to offer uh, 15% off uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. As long as you mentioned that you're here for the Bronx uh, Restaurant Week program as a customer, you get the discount. And uh, that's what we ended up offering uh, that week, uh, this year. And it's uh, a very interesting thing that I feel like as a Bronx, we have to offer our own Bronx Restaurant Week, right? While Restaurant Week in New York City, it's only mostly Manhattan and some of Brooklyn and barely Queens, I think. That's a very, I think, prideful thing, you know, that I like to say that we have Bronx Restaurant Week, right? And it's only Bronx restaurants. So that's an awesome, like, branding thing strategy thing that uh, I was able to share um, this year and it all started um, it started about yeah about almost two years ago building that relationship with the Bronx Tourism Council and me learning and saying wow you know like this is awesome you know that we have our own restaurant week and this you know who doesn't love restaurants right so to be able to learn about the other establishments I got involved and then I approached the Bronx Tourism Council at their office at the county courthouse on 161st Street and I said, hey, you know, I, I really think Safe Casinos would love to be a part of the program, at least to just be included as one of the, the participating restaurants, you know, to offer an incentive, you know. Um, and also the exciting thing for us was, once again, opening up that Central American category. There was no other restaurant on that category. So that, that was exciting. And then um, just the conversations of, you know, um, us participating in other events, you know, offering food at other um, events throughout the Bronx that Tourism Council offers. And um, they, you know, they ended up choosing us as saying, hey, you know, Seis Vecinos, would you guys be interested in maybe hosting it this year? Because you guys are definitely different. It's the first time that you guys are offering this category. And then, then we have the space, fortunately. So we welcomed and opened up our doors to other neighboring establishments, you know, such as Bricks and Hops and uh, Cite, um, from the Bronx. We had the the Bronx Brewery, and uh, we had Imponology, and we everyone had their place within Seis Vecinos. So that was a real, like, community, like, in-house experience for us 
And on top of that, all the local like council members, political figures we had in the room, all the media we had in the room, it was an extremely uh, humbling experience, you know, for us to host that and to have all that attention. It was just in my eyes, like in, in, in my mind was also like just beyond like ridiculous like why you know uh, you know just it was um yeah omar is one of the most humble human beings i have ever met um own it y'all definitely deserved it and that's super exciting my man was uh rubbing shoulders with the likes of the bronx borough president and everything like that um and it, it sounds like it was a really dope dope experience what's interesting um also i'm glad you brought that up kevin because that to me was very nerve-wracking and also very surreal because I remember uh, Ruben Diaz, our uh, Bronx Borough president, I remember living in the Monroe houses in Soundview, in the projects. And I remember it was back in 1999, I think it was. I remember him knocking on my door at apartment 8C. And I'm sure you remember him knocking on our doors, right? On Story Avenue. And I remember him, you know, this, this tall, like, figure. I was much, much, you know, younger back then. I remember him shaking my hands and then, I remember telling him that day at restaurant week on that day where he hosted, I was like, you know, I still remember when you knocked on my door and he remembered on Story Avenue knocking on doors because that's when he was starting his campaigns, you know, that's his a, career. That's a super dope story. Uh, shout out to the Bronx Borough President, Ruben Diaz Jr. Uh, we definitely want to get him on the show. I have high aspirations. We want to definitely get him on the show one day as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It'd be awesome. Yeah, definitely. And you know, and, and that to me, it was very inspiring, um, still remembering that experience, you know, because he would also come to our school, remember, and, uh, and give his, his speeches to us, very inspiring, uh, you know, seminars that he would give us. And, um, you know, so that is easily one of those, like, growing up things for me that I always kept with me. Um, that, that's a super dope, like, story, how that all kind of came it, together. It all comes together. And I uh, love it. Yeah, so that that was, you know, Restaurant Week. I mean, you know, to everyone that's listening, definitely um, check out Restaurant Week for sure. You know, it's it's something that, uh, it's exciting, a great way to, you know, just, you know, just keep touring uh, and patronizing your neighboring restaurants as well. So that's a really great segue um, to obviously some of the challenges that we've been having now, right? It, obviously, COVID-19 has been a challenge for everybody. One of the things I, I really enjoy talking to you is because you are super knowledgeable about the restaurant industry, but also the restaurant industry in the Bronx. So I guess how have just in general, what have restaurants had to do during this time to kind of stay viable? Um, and also what can we do as kind of uh, consumers to support? Right. I, I read this interesting thing that said um, using sites like Uber Eats um, and Grubhub could sometimes be detrimental to like local businesses. So one, how restaurants kind of stay afloat and what can we do as like, cause I don't want to do things to hurt restaurants, right? So if it's better, if I don't use Uber Eats and stuff like that, what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, so if you can, uh, if you can definitely call in directly or see if your local restaurant has their own in-house delivery app uh, and, you know, try to pick up your orders if you can, of course, you know, remaining safe while doing so. Um, and one thing that I encourage always restaurants is to keep in touch and pay a little more attention to their delivery platforms if they're using them. Why? Because in a lot of times, um, they are negotiable. Um, negotiable in the sense of, 
you know, uh, especially now, um, with even lawmakers getting in between uh, the delivery platforms and capping them out at the 10% from previous 30% commission that they take from you. That's one thing to uh, that I encourage is to remain in the conversation, remain in touch by simply calling customer service and saying, hey, what kind of incentive can we get for this week? We've been doing that. And also, primarily, this is key right now more than ever, you know, remaining, in, remaining directly in touch with your customer and looking for, let's say, a company like Chow Now or we work with Foodie Order, for example, Foodie Order. There are these very affordable um, platforms that offer you, you know, a skeleton of launching within a week your own in-house pickup and delivery platform and very affordable, you know, no commission. And, you know, it's a flat rate of 150 a month, which is very affordable in my opinion. And you offer your own in-house app. Why is this important? Because you interact directly with your customer and you also offer a more seamless platform um, to provide more volume and better quality. So while if you go through Uber Eats, they own your, they own your customer. And that's just an ugly way of saying it, but that's the truth of the matter because they are the ones that offer the platform. They are the ones who market to your customer. And they also take a bigger chunk of, of, of that pie. And one thing that I also encourage other you know, restaurants to do is to really just find a way to tell their story. You know, um, Brand and everything that anyone does, our names are brands, right? Um, we also, I also try to encourage everyone, no matter what kind of restaurant you are, there is a story behind the food. You should find a way to tell that especially now in this day and age, the digital age, do that through social media, you know, get a little cheesy, get a little funky, you know, get a little corny, you know, experiment a little um, and also spend a little and also reach out to ways to possibly even collaborate, you know, with other organizations as well. And that's another, once again, going back to the other question that um, Jason, you had asked me, that's community sense, right? If you notice through our social media and through our stories, I always try my best to interact also with other community members, other brands, other Bronx brands, other authentic Bronx brands. Um, and we try our best to feature them in our social media as well um, to bring in that community sense as well. Um, so that's definitely something that I encourage. Um, and also another thing, one thing that I, I find interesting is that I have my, um, you know, I have a lot of good friends that are also restaurateurs that own bars and restaurants here in the Bronx, remaining friends with them, you know, um, most of them like having you as a friend as well is what I like to say, um, because they're also like minded, right? And maybe they know something or maybe they know of a way of getting a cheaper item that you didn't know about, right? Or how I like to do um, now is when I find something out today, hey, there's a new rule, there's a new COVID, you know, set of rules that the city let out today. And I send out, I blast these texts out of links, you know, saying, hey, make sure you guys are up to compliance um, before you get fined, you know, and just remaining friends. And that's another way that um, I know I personally reach out and stay friends um, with um, other restaurants and bar owners. And it's just awesome to share that, you know, because why, why remain a lone wolf, you know? Um, it's best to, you know, in other words, I'm a big believer of, you know, together we rise and divided we fall. You know, we're, we're not competitors. I'm not, you're not going to eat at Seis Vecinos every day, you know. 
um, you know, you're, you're going to go to us one month, one week, and then you're going to go to our other neighboring restaurant another day. And then it goes around. Right. And that's another way. I love that. I love that. That's another way of also going back to that community question. Once again, of we should keep our community dollars, you know, within us as well. And that's very Uh important when you're a part of that as a restaurant owner or business owner, you know, remaining, you know, united in that sense, remaining relevant. So that is something that I encourage, you know, um, you know, to, to the attitude and to the personality of every business owner as well. You know, it's, it's hard to teach that, but it's, you know, I can only do so much as share what, what has worked for us, you know? Yo, I love, I love everything that you just said. Uh, yo, you have been dope. I, I knew you were dope, but now everyone's going to get to know how, how dope you are and uh, definitely check out Saves for Sinos. Uh, I definitely co-signed it. Jason co-signs it. There were a lot of gems in this interview that I'm going to kind of just really pull out. Um, Jay, feel free to kind of, as you always do, anything that I miss. Um, you said a lot of really dope things. One of the things that kind of stuck with me is ever evolving and ever learning um, as humans. That's something that we need to do, whether you own a restaurant, a business, have an idea, or just a, a person listening, right? Just you always need to be learning and growing, right? Don't be scared to get your hands dirty. I love when you said that, right? Uh, learning new skills um, during this this podcasting journey um, that Jay and I are on, we are always learning new skills. Uh, and sometimes we make mistakes, sometimes we fail at things, but we are trying new things and we're trying to be innovative and, and learn. Another thing you said, being resilient, right? That is super key, right? Be resilient. Um, because if you are not, people will push you out, people will tell your story for you. Um, so, so always being resilient, right? Um, from the business tip, uh, figuring out ways to reach your, uh, your consumers directly, right? Direct to consumer. I love that idea. And for people listening, we're going to patronize some of these places. If you can, right? See if the, the restaurant that you're trying to go to has an app that you can order directly from them, right? So the profits are going directly to that restaurant. I'm not saying go get rid of your Uber app and things like that, but try to see if you're, there are better ways that you could actually support some of your favorite businesses, especially um, especially during COVID. Another thing, tell your story, right? Um, everyone has a story to tell and we need to do that. And the last thing that I'll leave y'all with um, is collaboration when you can, right? We're not in competition with each other, right? We are going to collaborate um, and together we rise. I love that you said that. So let's get our collaboration on. Um, those are some of the gems that I was able to kind of kind of toggle through really quickly. Jay, I don't know if you want to add anything there. I just want to add one that, again, Omar, you're doing a really good job of like throwing in these subtle gems and we don't have an opportunity to kind of go deep and explore all of them. But the importance of keeping money flowing within your community, what does that look like? How do we coming back to collaboration? Right. How do we collaborate with other local uh, businesses? But most importantly, for people who are residents in the community and young people to understand the importance of keeping the dollar flowing because a lot of us tend to, to leave our communities and, and not come back. So what does all that mean? Like, what does all that look like? And just kind of understanding the importance of, of the dollar in the community. That's it. So Taste of the Bronx is a great example of keeping community dollars flowing. Why? Because Taste of the Bronx highlights the different foods that are produced here in the Bronx and also apparel and goods, jewelry, you know, anything that you can possibly gift someone else. And you're also supporting your local Bronxite, right? Your local Bronx producer. You're, 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 you're keeping that awareness from within 
and you're supporting your neighbor, you're supporting your friends and family by doing so. So that, you know, I, I'm, I'm bringing them up as an example because it's probably, in my opinion, the best platform right now that's doing the best job in doing exactly that. You are absolutely right, man. Starbucks has enough money, right? <laughs> like some of these big corporations are, are doing fine. They're Definitely doing okay. Your, they're they're going to be fine, word. Um, but yo, this has been a super dope interview. Uh, we like to have some fun with our guests. Uh, something that we enjoy doing is uh, rapid fire. Uh, so Jay, you don't mind, take it away, bro. Yes. So really quickly, um, here are the directions for rapid fire and what we're about to do. So what I am going to do is I'm going to ask you five questions, Omar, right? Five random questions. These questions are going to give us a little sense of who you are, right? And we're going to have a little fun with it. After each question, I want you to respond with the first word or words that come to mind. We, and we don't need explanations, right? So for example, if I say, hey, what's your favorite basketball team? Kevin might say, I would say the Brooklyn Nets. So that's what we're going to do for the next five questions. Let me know if you are ready for this. All right. Let's do it. So question one, one word to describe seis vecinos. Authentic. What is your favorite food? Ooh, what is one word to describe sound view? First word was like warm and green. What is your favorite song? That's a deep question for me. Uh, Led Zeppelin and Mars Volta and okay. System of a Down. Like those are my things because it's like political. It's like love songs, but like very like blues, you know? And then the last question, what is your favorite TV show? Ooh, wow. Uh, right now I would say, I would have to say it's Blacklist. Dope. Right now, right now, yeah. Dope, dope, right. dope. Omar, we just wrapped up Rapid Fire. That wasn't too bad, right? Not bad at all. It's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big talker too, man. That's the thing. Like, I, I, you know, like we were talking about, we were talking about Blacklist right before and, and we were talking about Stephen King and, mm. you know, mm -hmm. like we, I could talk about shows and movies. We could talk about music, you know, no For, doubt. forever. The passions. So I'm <laughs> yeah. going to kick it right back over to Kev for the next three Bronx questions. No doubt. So uh, we are a Bronx podcast. We are very, proud of that and excited about that and we love that um so let's say you had a friend who has never been to the bronx before um obviously you're taking them out to eat at seis casinos but let's say uh they've eaten there and they loved it of course uh but you want to take them to another spot to eat in the bronx um where are you taking them well yeah so i would ask them you know maybe start them off with a nice cocktail usually that's the nicest cocktail bar here in the south bronx you know starting from the south bronx and we can move on up um, it would have to be Charlie's Bar and Kitchen. Uh, the owners are, are awesome, very genuine, very genuine uh, guys. Shout out to him. And uh, they have great bites there as well. And then there's another little uh, great um, Italian gem here on, on 163rd called Porto Salvo. It's just small, like very light, old school Italian bites. And it's another thing. It's just, you know, Arthur Avenue. I just spend way too much time there. See, you got to be friends with someone like Omar. So I said, where are you taking him? He named 17 places. You're going to eat well that day. <laughs> you're going to eat yeah. super well. And, so. and it all depends. It, it all, it's all on the mood, right? Whatever vibe yeah. you're into. Like if you're in the mood for like maybe some good coffee, you know, or maybe some good Greek food. Um, like there's a nice um, Greek restaurant in, in Riverdale, for example. Um, cool. 
so yeah and i I, i'm a big fan of just exploring going out the throg's neck you know everything from you know even to let's say uh you know made in puerto rico um i love that spot you know uh the the elder avenue um if you're you're gonna have people hitting you up to hang out with you after this because you (laughs) seem to know every spot Oh yeah, no, and if and if we're going, you know, if we're going bar hopping in the Bronx, oh man, you know, count me in. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> and then okay. I'll, talk, I'll talk even more, and then I'll get even more hungry by then. <laughs> so now you and this friend are super well fed. <laughs> Y'all are good. Uh, so now this friend wants to kind of go out and hang out in the Bronx. Where's one spot? Um, and I know you could probably give me a bunch, but what's one spot uh, you're taking them to to hang out? Oh, to hang out? I mean, to hang out? I mean definitely going it's just always i always go back to the bronx beer hall but to hang out i mean there's a lot of um i would say a lot of the parks i would say that there's a lot of the parks here in the bronx aren't really well like put out there and the reason why is like one thing i've also learned about this pandemic is to appreciate a good picnic with the right people that you can hang out with why because you can also patronize your local food spot right by buying something to go which is encouraged right and you can have it at your local park. Soundview Park is is a great spot to chill and remain socially distanced. A lot of people don't know, and it's a little like secret of mine, but I'm going to put it out there. Randall's Island, technically not a part of the Bronx, but the Randall's Island connector. You can pick up some pitorro at the Port Morris Distillery, take the bottle <laughs> with you to Randall's Island, and remain socially distanced. Another another thing that um a lot of people don't know about is botanical gardens. It's a gem, you know, it's our private central park and it's extremely affordable and you can picnic there. You know, I was there, I was there two weeks ago and I brought in three wine bottles, you know, in there and I shared them with my parents and my brother um, and the girlfriends and the wives. And, you know, we had a great time and it's very safe, very affordable, very clean. Brian Cortland Park is another one. So those are great, like, Things to do now, I would say, that are safe, socially distanced. Nice. Um, and you can also encourage your, your Bronx local spots as well. So that's a great hangout for right now, I would say. I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to, the wife and I, we're going to go to the, the Botan with a bottle of wine. Uh, yeah, for sure. Picnic. That's a great idea. I just wrote that down too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last, uh, last but not least, so there are a lot of misconceptions about the Bronx. There are a lot of negative stereotypes. And here at Live from the Bronx, we always want to kind of shut those down. So what's one negative stereotype about the Bronx that you want to shut down today? Oh, uh, yeah, no. So every time I always bring this example up, every time I've traveled, for example, when I went once to Vermont, right, I went up as far as Vermont near the, the, the border of Canada, way up there in, uh, in a small, like a small town, uh, not too far from Burlington. And I always get this question, is the Bronx still burning? The same question I remember getting when I went to, I remember visited France twice. Um, I was in Paris and also in Lyon, France. And same question, oh, from the Bronx. And they know the Bronx. Like, they know the name. Like, they know the name really well. It resonates even with them. So, yeah, to answer the question, you know, no, the Bronx is not literally burning anymore, but it's still literally burning. And that's what I like to tell people, that the misconception that if I'm here visiting you, the Bronx isn't bad at all, and I encourage you to visit it one day. It's rich in culture, rich in language, rich in cuisine. Um, it's rich in people, something that you won't find anywhere else in the world, in my opinion. And 
I always try to erase that misconception that it's a horrible place to visit, that it's a disgusting place to visit. In my opinion, it's a beautiful place to visit. It's a very interesting place to visit, hard to get bored of. You know, the discovery never ends here, you know? I love that. The discovery never ends. Put that on a t-shirt as well. The Bronx discovery never ends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yo, Omar, thank you so much for your time, bro. I'm glad that we got to do this. We have been talking about it like the first time months ago. So to kind of get you here yeah. and get this, uh, get this, this is super dope. Uh, you left us with so much to think about. We had a really great time and, uh, and thank you. Uh, thank you guys thank you guys for real this is fun so if people want to uh go to Cespicinos and learn more um i guess tell them where the restaurant is located and then if you could throw up uh the restaurant social medias if you want to share your social medias as well definitely feel free oh yeah so Cespicinos restaurant we're located at 640 prospect avenue probably located in the longwood south bronx area uh, our website, safespacinos.com, Instagram and Facebook, you'll find us at safespacinos. And as I always like to say, our favorite hashtags are, you know, from the Bronx, foodie down Bronx, and hashtag safespacinos. Very cool. Very cool. And Jay, if you could do me a favor, if you could throw out our social media for me. Yes, sir. You can follow us on Instagram at Live from the Bronx, B R O N X. You can follow us on Twitter at Live from the B X. You can also shoot us an email at info at live from the Bronx.com. We would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, leave a review. Let us know who you want to be on the show. Um, and don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend to check us out. No doubt, no doubt. Episode 20 in the books. We did it, y'all.